Section 7, Book the Seventh of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 7, Book the Seventh. Argument. Hector challenges the bravest of the Greeks to a single combat, and nine of the chiefs, having cast lots, Ajax is appointed to meet him. Having protracted the contest till night, the combatants exchange gifts and separate. A truce is then made for the purpose of burying the dead, and the Greeks fortify their camp. Thus having said, illustrious Hector rushed forth from the gates, and with him went his brother Alexander, for both were eager in soul to wage war and to fight. As when the deity hath given a prosperous wind to expecting mariners, after they have become weary, agitating the deep with well-polished oars, and their limbs are relaxed with toil, thus then did those two appear to the expecting Trojans. Then they slew the one indeed, Menesius, son of King Arethus, whom the club-bearer Arethus and large-eyed Philomedusa brought forth. But Hector smote Aeonius with his sharp spear upon the neck, under his well-wrought brazen helmet, and relaxed his limbs. And Glaucus, son of Hippolochus, leader of the Lycian heroes, in fierce engagement, smote Iphinus, son of Dexius, upon the shoulder with his spear, as he vaulted on his swift mares. But he fell from his mares to the ground, and his limbs were relaxed. But when the azure-eyed goddess Minerva saw them destroying the Greeks, in fierce engagement, she descended straightway, rushing down from the tops of Olympus to sacred Ilium. Then Apollo hastened to meet her, having perceived her from Pergamus, for he wished victory to the Trojans, and they met each other at the beech-tree. Her first, King Apollo, the son of Jove, addressed. Why again dost thou, O daughter of mighty Jove, come ardently from Olympus, and why hast thy mighty soul impelled thee? It is that thou mightest give to the Greeks the doubtful victory of battle, for thou dost not pity the Trojans perishing. But if thou obeyest me in aught, which indeed would be much better, let us now make the war and conflict to cease this day. Afterwards shall they fight until they find an end of Ilium, since it is pleasing to the mind of you goddesses to overthrow this city. But him in turn, the azure-eyed goddess Minerva thus addressed, Be it so, far darter for I myself, meditating the same things, came down from Olympus to the Trojans and the Greeks. But come, how dost thou intend to make the battle of men to cease? Her then, in turn, King Apollo, the son of Jove, addressed, Let us arouse the valiant spirit of horse-breaking Hector, if perchance he will challenge some one of the Greeks to fight against him singly opposed in grievous combat. And the well-grieved Greeks, enraged, will urge on some single man to fight with noble Hector. Thus he spoke, nor did the azure-eyed goddess disobey. But Helenus, the dear son of Priam, perceived in his mind the counsel, which seemed good to the gods deliberating. He therefore went and stood near Hector, and thus accosted him. Hector, son of Priam, equal to Jove in wisdom, wilt thou obey me in aught? For I am thy brother. Cause all the rest of the Trojans and the Greeks to sit down, but do thou thyself challenge whoever is the bravest of the Greeks to fight against thee in grievous combat, for it is not yet thy fate to die, and to draw on fate. For to this effect have I heard the voice of the immortal gods. 
Thus he spoke, but Hector in turn rejoiced exceedingly, having heard his advice, and accordingly advancing into the midst, grasping his spear in the middle, he restrained the phalanxes of the Trojans, and they all sat down. Agamemnon also caused the well-grieved Greeks to sit down, and Minerva also, and silver-bowed Apollo, sat like unto vulture-birds on a lofty beech-tree of their sire, the aegis-bearing Jove, delighted with the heroes. Of these the ranks sat thick, horribly bristling with shields, and helmets, and spears, and as the ripple of the west wind just risen is poured over the ocean, and the sea begins to darken under it, such sat the ranks of the Greeks and Trojans in the plain. But Hector thus spoke in the midst of both armies, Hear me, ye Trojans, and ye well-grieved Greeks, whilst I speak what the mind in my breast commands me. Saturnian Jove, indeed, sitting aloft, has not ratified the leagues, but devising evils against both sides ordains them, till either ye take well-turreted Troy, or yourselves fall at your sea-traversing ships. Amongst you, indeed, there are the bravest of all the Greeks, of whom whomsoever his mind orders to fight with me, let him come hither from amongst all, to be a champion against noble Hector. This then do I propose, but let Jove be our witness. If, on the other hand, he shall slay me with his long-pointed spear, having stripped off my armour, let him bear it to the hollow ships, but send my body home, that the Trojans and the wives of the Trojans may make me deceased, a partaker of the funeral pyre. But if, on the other hand, I shall slay him, and Apollo shall give me glory, having stripped off his armour, I will bear it to sacred Ilium, and I will hang it up on the temple of far-darting Apollo. But his body I will send back to the well-benched ships, that the long-haired Greeks may perform his exequies, and pile up for him a tomb on the wide Hellespont. And hereafter will some one of the future men say, as he sails over the sea in his many-benched ship, this, indeed, is the tomb of a hero long since deceased, whom once, bearing himself doughtily, illustrious Hector slew. Thus hereafter will some one say, But this my glory shall never perish. Thus he said, But all became mute in silence. Ashamed, indeed, they were to refuse, and yet they dreaded to accept the challenge. At length, however, Menelaus stood up, and spoke amongst them, rebuking them with reproaches, and he groaned greatly in spirit. Alas, ye boasters, Greek dames, no longer Grecian men, certainly will these things be a disgrace, most grievously grievous, if none of the Greeks will now go against Hector. But may ye all become water and earth, sitting there, each of you faint-hearted, utterly inglorious, but I myself will be armed against him. But the issues of victory are rested in the immortal gods." Thus having spoken, he put on his beautiful arms. Then indeed, O Menelaus, would the end of life have befallen thee at the hands of Hector, since he was much the better man, had not the princes of Greeks, starting up suddenly, restrained thee, and the son of Atreus himself, wide-ruling Agamemnon, seized thee by the right hand, and addressed thee, and spoke, Thou art mad, Menelaus, offspring of Jove, nor hast thou any need of such madness. Restrain thyself, although grieved, nor wish for the sake of contention to fight with a braver man than thyself, Hector, the son of Priam, whom others also dread. Nay, even Achilles, who is much braver than thou, dreads to meet him in the glorious fight. But now, going to the troop of thy companions, sit down. Against him the Greeks will set up some other champion, although he be intrepid and insatiable of battle. I think that he will gladly bend his knee, if he shall escape from the hostile battle, and grievous fight. 
Thus speaking, the hero dissuaded his brother's mind, advising him rightly, and he obeyed. His joyful attendants then stripped the armor from his shoulders. Then Nestor arose amidst the Greeks, and said, O gods, surely great grief comes upon the Grecian land. Certainly the aged knight Peleus, the excellent counsellor and adviser of the Myrmidons, will greatly lament, who formerly interrogated me, greatly rejoiced in his palace, inquiring the race and offspring of all the Greeks. If he now heard of them all crouching under Hector, often indeed would he lift up his hands to the immortals, praying that his soul, separated from his limbs, might depart into the house of Pluto. For would, O father Jove and Minerva and Apollo, I were young, as when the assembled Pylians and the spear-skilled Arcadians fought by the rapid Celadon at the walls of Phaea, about the streams of Jardin. With them Ereuthalion, godlike hero, stood in the van, bearing on his shoulders the armor of King Ereuthus, of noble Ereuthus, whom men and beauteous girt women called by surname Corinates, since he fought not with a bow, nor with a long spear, but used to break the phalanxes with an iron club. Him Lycurgus slew by stratagem, not by strength, in a narrow defile, where his iron club did not ward off destruction from him, for Lycurgus, anticipating, pierced him right through the waist with his spear, and he was dashed to the ground on his back, and he spoiled him of the armor which brazen Mars had given him, and he indeed afterwards bore them himself in the battle of Mars. But when Lycurgus had grown old in his palaces, he gave them to his beloved attendant Ereothalion to be born, and he, having his armor, challenged all the bravest. But these trembled, and feared very much nor did any one dare to withstand him. But my bold mind, by its confidence, urged me on to fight him. Now I was the youngest of them all, and I fought with him, and Minerva gave me glory, and I slew this most mighty and valiant hero, for vast he lay stretched out on this side and on that. Would that now I were thus young, and my strength entire, so quickly should crest-tossing Hector meet with a contest, but those of you who are the bravest of all the Greeks, not even you promptly desire to go against Hector. Thus did the old man upbraid them, and nine heroes in all arose. Much the first arose Agamemnon, the king of men. After him arose brave Diomede, son of Tydeus, and after them the Ajaces, clad in impetuous valor. After them Idomeneus and Meriones, the armor-bearer of Idomeneus, equal to man-slaughtering Mars. After them Eurypylus, the gallant son of Evaemon, and there also arose Thoas, son of Andromedon, and divine Ulysses. All these wished to fight with noble Hector, but these again the Geranian knight Nestor addressed. Decide now, exclusively by lot, who shall obtain the accepting of the challenge, for he indeed will aid the well-grieved Greeks, and he will also delight his own soul, if he shall escape safe from the hostile war and the grievous fight. Thus he spoke, and they marked each his own lot, and they cast them into the helmet of Agamemnon, the son of Atreus. The people supplicated, and raised their hands to the gods, and thus would one of them say, looking towards the wide heaven, O father Jove, grant that Ajax obtain the lot, or the son of Tydeus, or the king himself of rich Mycenae. Thus they spake, and the Geranian knight Nestor shook the lot, and the lot of Ajax, which indeed they wished for, leaped forth from the helmet. Then a herald bearing it around through the multitude, beginning at the right, showed it to all the chiefs of the Greeks. But they, not recognizing it, disclaimed it severally. But when at last the herald carrying it round through the multitude came to him, 
illustrious ajax who had inscribed and cast it into the helmet he stretched forth his hand and the herald standing near placed it in it having inspected it he knew his own mark and rejoiced in his soul he cast it on the ground at his feet and said o friends surely the lot is mine and i myself rejoice in my soul since i think that i shall conquer noble hector but come while i put on my warlike arms do ye meantime pray to jove the saturnian king silently within yourselves that the trojans may not hear or even openly since we fear no one at all for no one willingly shall by force overcome me against my will nor through my inexperience since i hope i have not been so ignorantly born and bred at salamis thus he spoke but they prayed to jove the saturnian king and thus would one of them say looking towards the wide heaven o father jove ruling from ida most glorious most mighty grant to ajax to bear away victory and illustrious glory but if thou lovest hector also and carest for him grant equal might and glory to both thus they spake and ajax was arming himself in splendid brass but when he had put on all his armour round his body then he rushed forward as moves mighty mars who goes to war amidst men whom the son of saturn has engaged to fight with the strength of soul-gnawing strife such mighty ajax advanced the bulwark of the greeks smiling with grim countenance but he advanced taking long strides with his feet beneath brandishing his long-shadowed spear the greeks on their part rejoiced much on beholding him but dire dismay seized the trojans each one as to his limbs and the soul panted in the breast of hector himself but now he could not in any wise retract through fear nor retire back into the crowd of the people since he had challenged to the fight but ajax drew near bearing a shield like a tower brazen covered with seven ox hides which for him the artist tycheus laboring had wrought dwelling at his home in hyla by far the most excellent of leather cutters who for him had made a movable shield of seven hides of very fat bulls and drawn over it an eighth layer of brass carrying this before his breast telamonian ajax stood very near hector and menacing addressed him o hector now thou alone with me alone shall plainly know what kind of chiefs are present with the greeks even besides achilles the breaker of ranks the lion-hearted but he indeed abides at his high-beaked sea-traversing ships enraged against agamemnon the shepherd of the people yet we are such even many of us who can go against thee but begin the battle and the strife him then in turn the mighty crest-tossing hector addressed thou jove sprung ajax son of telamon ruler of the forces tamper not with me as with a weak boy or a woman who knows not warlike deeds but i well know both battles and manslaughterings i know how to shift my dry shield to the right and to the left wherefore to me it belongs to tight unwearied i am also skilled to rush to the battle of swift steeds but i know too how in hostile array to move skilfully in honour of glowing mars but i do not desire to wound thee being such watching stealthily but openly if haply i may strike thee he spoke and brandishing hurled forth his long-shadowed spear and smote the mighty seven-hided shield of ajax on the outside brass which was the eighth layer thereon and the unwearied brass cutting through penetrated six folds and was stuck fast in the seventh hide next the jove sprung ajax in turn sent forth his very long spear 
and struck the all-equal shield of Priam's son, threw the shining shield past the impetuous spear, and was fastened in his very ingeniously wrought corslet, and from the opposite side of the spear cut his tunic near the flank. But he inclined himself and avoided black death. Then they both, having drawn out their long spears with their hands, joined battle, like unto raw devouring lions or wild boars whose strength is not feeble. Then indeed the son of Priam stuck the midst of Ajax's shield with his spear. It broke not through the brass, but the point of it was bent. But Ajax, bounding forward, pierced his shield, and the spear went right through, and repelled him as he rushed on. It glanced over his neck, cutting it, and black gore gushed forth. But not even thus did crest-tossing Hector cease from the battle, but retiring back he seized in his hand a black, rough, huge stone lying in the plain. With it he struck the mighty seven-hided shield of Ajax in the midst of the boss, and the brass rang around. Ajax next taking up a much larger stone, whirling, discharged it, and applied immense strength, and he broke through the shield, having struck with a rock like unto a millstone, and he wounded him in the knee, and he was stretched supine, having come into violent contact with his shield. But Apollo quickly raised him, and now in close combat hand to hand they would have wounded each other with their swords, had not the heralds, the messenger of gods and men, arrived, one of the Trojans, the other of the brazen-mailed Greeks, Talthibius and Idaeus, both prudent men, and between both armies they held their sceptres. But the herald Idaeus, skilled in prudent counsels, said, no longer my dear sons war or fight for cloud-collecting jove loves you both ye both are warriors and this we all know night is now approaching and it is good to obey night but him telamonian ajax answering addressed idaeus order hector to speak these words for he challenged all the bravest of our side to battle let him begin and i will entirely obey if he indeed does so but him crest-tossing hector addressed in turn Ajax, since some god has given thee size, and might, and prudence, and thou art the most excellent of the Greeks at the spear, let us now cease from battle, and contest for this day. Hereafter will we fight again, till the deity shall separate us, and give the victory to either. Now night is approaching, and it is good to obey night, that thou mayest gladden all the Greeks at the ships, and chiefly those friends and companions which are thine, but I will gladden the Trojans and the train-bearing Trojan matrons through the great city of King Priam, the dames who, praying for me, are entering the deities' temple. But come, let us both mutually give very glorious gifts, that some one of the Greeks and Trojans may say thus, They certainly fought in soul-gnawing strife, but then again, being reconciled, they parted in friendship. Thus then, having spoken, he gave him a silver-studded sword, presenting it with the sheath and the well-wrought belt, but Ajax gave to him a belt splendid with purple. Then they twain being separated, the one went to the people of the Greeks, and the other to the crowd of the Trojans. And they rejoiced when they saw him coming alive and safe, having escaped the strength and the invincible hands of Ajax, and led him to the city, not having had any hopes that he was safe. But the well-grieved Greeks, on the other hand, led away Ajax, rejoicing in victory to divine Agamemnon, when now they were in the tents of the son of Atreus, then Agamemnon, king of men, sacrificed for them an ox, a male five years old, to the most powerful son of Saturn. This they flayed and dressed it, made divisions of the whole of it, and skilfully divided these into smaller portions, 
and fixed on them spits, and roasted them very cleverly, and drew off all. But when they had ceased from labour, and had prepared the banquet, they feasted, nor did their soul in any wise lack a due proportion of the feast. The valiant son of Atreus, far-ruling Agamemnon, honoured Ajax with an entire chine, but when they had dismissed the desire of drink and of food, for them the aged man Nestor first of all began to frame advice, whose counsel before also had appeared the best, who, wisely counselling, harangued them, and said, Son of Atreus, and ye other chiefs of all the Greeks, many of the long-haired Achaeans have perished, whose black blood fierce Mars has now shed near fair-flowing Scamander, and their souls have descended to the shades. Therefore it behooves you to cause the battle of the Greeks to cease with the dawn, and let us, collected together, carry the bodies hither on chariots, with oxen and mules, and burn them at a little distance from the ships, that each may carry home the bones of the deceased to their children, when we return again to our fatherland. And let us going out heap up in the plain one common tomb for all, round the pyre, and beside it let us speedily erect lofty towers as a bulwark of our ships and of ourselves. And in it let us make a well-fitted gate, that through it there may be a passage for the chariots, but outside let us sink near at hand a deep trench, which, being circular, may serve as a defence to both steeds and men, lest at any time the war of the haughty Trojans should press sorely. Thus he spoke, and all the princes approved of his counsel. But of the Trojans also was a panic struck, and turbulent counsel held in the lofty citadel of Ilium, at the gates of Priam. And to them wise Antenor thus began to harangue, Hear me, ye Trojans and Dardanians and allies, that I may tell you what the soul in my breast commands me. Come, then, let us restore Argive Helen and her treasures with her to the sons of Atreus to lead away, for now we are fighting after having violated the faithful leagues, wherefore I think that nothing better will be brought to pass by us unless we act thus. He, having thus said, sat down, but to them arose divine Alexander, the husband of fair-haired Helen, who, answering him, spoke winged words, O Antenor, thou no longer speakest these things grateful to me. Thou knowest how to devise another counsel better than this. But if in truth thou speakest this seriously, the gods themselves have now deprived thee of thy senses. But I will declare my opinion amidst the horse-subduing Trojans. I openly declare I will not give up my wife, but the treasures, whatever I have brought home from Argos, all these I am willing to give, and even to add others from my own home. Thus having spoken, he sat down. But to them arose Priam, son of Dardanus, a counsellor equal to the gods, who thus wisely harangued them, and said, Hear me, ye Trojans and Dardanians and allies, that I may tell you what the soul in my breast commands. Now take repast through the army as heretofore, and be attentive to the watch, and let each be mindful of guard. And in the morning let Edeus proceed to the hollow ships to announce to the sons of Atreus, Agamemnon, and Menelaus the resolution of Alexander, on whose account the contention has arisen. And let him add this prudent request also, whether they wish to desist from horrid-sounding war until we burn the dead. Afterwards will we fight again till fate separate us, and give the victory to one or other of us. Thus he said, but they heard him very attentively, and obeyed. Then they took their repast throughout the city by companies. In the morning Idaeus went to the hollow ships, 
he found the Greeks, the servants of Mars, in council at the stern of Agamemnon's ship. And the clear-voiced herald, standing in the midst of them, spoke thus, Ye sons of Atreus, and ye other chiefs of all the Greeks, Priam and the other illustrious Trojans command me to tell you, if it be agreeable and pleasing to you, the determination of Alexander on whose account this contention has risen. Whatever treasures Alexander brought in the hollow ships to Troy, would that he first had perished, all these is he willing to give up, and even to add others from his own home. But he says that he will not restore the wedded spouse of glorious Menelaus, certainly the Trojans at least advise him. They also order me to make this proposal, to wit, whether ye are willing to desist from dreadful-sounding war, until we shall burn the dead. Afterwards we shall fight again, till fate separate us, and give the victory to one of us. Thus he said, but they all became mute in silence. At length Thyamede, brave in the din of war, spoke thus amongst them, Let none now receive the treasures of Alexander nor Helen, for it is plain even to him who is a mere infant that the issues of destruction impend over the Trojans. Thus he said, and all the sons of the Greeks shouted, admiring the words of horse-breaking Diomede, and then Agamemnon, king of men, thus addressed Idaeus, Idaeus, thou thyself hearest, indeed, the sentiments of the Greeks, how they answer thee, and such also pleases me. But concerning the dead, I grudge not that you should burn them, for there is no grudge towards the dead bodies, when they are dead, hastily to perform their obsequies with fire. But let loud-resounding Jove, the husband of Juno, be witness of the treaties. Thus having said, he raised his sceptre to all the gods. But Adeus returned to sacred Ilium, and the Trojans and Dardanians all sat assembled in council, expecting when Adeus might return. He came and declared his message, standing in the midst of them. But they prepared themselves very speedily for both purposes, some to carry away the bodies, and others to gather wood. The Greeks also on the other side hastened from their well-benched ships, some to carry away the bodies, and others to collect wood. Then, indeed, the sun freshly struck the fields with its rays, ascending heaven from the calmly flowing, deep-moving ocean, but they met one another. Then was it difficult to distinguish each man amongst the slain, but washing off with water the bloody gore, and pouring over them warm tears, they placed them upon the chariot, nor did mighty Priam suffer them to give way to grief. In silence, therefore, they heaped the bodies on the pile, grieving at heart. But when they had burned them in the fire, they returned to sacred Ilium. In like manner also on the other side, the well-grieved Greeks heaped the bodies on the pile, grieving in their heart, and having burned them with fire, they returned to the hollow ships. And when it was not yet morning, but still twilight, then a chosen band of Greeks arose about the pile, and going out from the plain, they made around it one common tomb, and near it they built a wall and lofty towers, a bulwark for their ships and of themselves. In them they made well-fitted gates, that through them there might be a passage for the chariots. Without they dug a deep ditch, near it broad and large, and in it fixed palisades. Thus the long-haired Greeks on their part laboured. But the gods, on the contrary, sitting beside a thundering Jove, were admiring the mighty work of the brazen-mailed Greeks. But to them, Neptune, the earth-shaker, thus began to speak. O father Jove, is there any mortal on the boundless earth who will any more disclose his mind and counsel to the immortals? 
Dost thou not perceive how the long-haired Greeks have built a wall before their shipping, and have drawn a ditch all around, nor have they given up splendid hecatombs to the gods? The fame of this work will certainly be wherever light is diffused, but they will forget that wall which I and Phoebus Apollo, toiling, built round the city for the hero Laomedon. Him, greatly enraged, the cloud-compelling Jove addressed, Ha! thou far-ruling earth-shaker, what hast thou said? Another of the gods, who is much weaker than thou in hands and in might, might have dreaded this idea, but thy glory shall assuredly extend as far as light is diffused. How be it when the crest-waving Greeks shall have departed with their ships into their dear fatherland, do thou, overthrowing this wall, sink it all in the deep, and again cover the great shore with sand? Thus may this mighty rampart of the Greeks be wholly effaced. Thus were they conversing on such matters among themselves. But the sun had set, and the work of the Greeks was finished. They slaughtered oxen through the tents, and took their repast. Many ships, which Aeunius, the son of Jason, whom Hypsipyle bore to Jason, shepherd of the people, sent, arrived from Lemnus, bringing wine. The son of Jason gave of wine a thousand measures, to be brought separately, as a gift to the sons of Atreus, Agamemnon, and Menelaus. Thence the long-haired Greeks bought wine, some for brass, some for shining iron, others for hides, some for the oxen themselves, and some for slaves, and they prepared an abundant feast. Through the whole night, indeed, the long-haired Greeks feasted, and the Trojans too, and their allies through the city, and all night, thundering fearfully, provident Jove was devising evils for both parties. But pale fear seized them, and they poured wine from their cups on the earth, nor did any one dare to drink before he had made a libation to the supreme son of Saturn. They then lay down, and enjoyed the boon of sleep. End of Book the Seventh Read by Stephen Carney